I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These words of the prophet Joel by the apostle Peter in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we celebrate what is often called the Solemnity of Pentecost. What is a solemnity? It is, to put it simply, the highest possible rank of feast on the church calendar. It is a day of solemn celebration, a feast day, a day of recollection, a day for celebration. It is a day which should inspire a holy reflection upon the promises of God which we remember came to fruition on this day in the first century and even to this day those promises which come to fruition. I remember as a kid growing up in the church uh, in Seattle, uh, there was this, we would have on the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, balloons filled with helium filling the church, tied to the ends of the pews. It's not the best part. Best part is, after the service, we would release those balloons into the atmosphere, which I know is unthinkable today, but that was how we celebrated it back then. We must never forget that the God whom we Christians worship and adore is the God who made continual covenant promises to his people in the days leading up to this day. But the church has taught that following the day of Pentecost, there could be no more promises for God to give, not only because everything to be revealed had been revealed in Jesus Christ, but because there could be no greater act of God prior to the judgment of this world than sending forth His Holy Spirit upon all flesh. What begins on the day of Pentecost is the last days. It was this which the prophet Joel foretold. Joel had the unenviable position of calling the people to fasting and renewed faithfulness in a time in which locusts had devoured, or will devour, depending on where you are in the text, every last bit of crop, every bit of fruit, every bit of vegetation. People have gotten drunk in the streets because there's nothing left to do but get drunk. But Joel's message is not that the day of the Lord has come in the form of a plague of locusts or a famine, but that what is coming is a day of doom, a day of darkness and gloom, a day on which the armies of the Lord would surround the people. And these are worse than those pesky northern Assyrians, worse than the Babylonians. You see, what's happening is that in the midst of a natural disaster, that of locusts, Joel is speaking of a spiritual disaster. A disaster of even greater proportions. Such that what must be torn is not one's clothes, but the heart. That is what must be torn apart. That is what must be cut open. The promise which God gives to the people, this people who have been called to fasting and to prayer, is this. That God does not want His people to be a reproach. 
God does not want His people to bear shame among the nations of the world. He does not want the nations to say of His people, where the heck is their God? Reminded of that bit in the Exodus where Moses is pleading with God for the lives of the people. God wants to wipe them out. And Moses says, look, there's no God like you who follows His people around. And Moses basically says, you don't want it to get around that, that you were such a failure with these people. It's about God's honor and glory that He restores. The promise is that God will restore out of jealousy for the land and pity for His people. Those two go together, by the way. God is jealous for His land, Joel says, and He has pity on the people. He will send grain and wine and oil. The Assyrian will be driven out and the famine will end. The locusts will go away. Joel calls upon the people to rejoice in early and abundant rains as signs of their vindication. We're actually in a time of early and abundant rains in Texas, so this is a good time to be preaching this. Not only will the people have produce in plenty, and meat in plenty, but they will also experience vindication in the spiritual disasters of their hearts. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out My Spirit. This vindication, the restoration of what was lost due to plague, pestilence, and famine, as well as a restoration of what is unseen, that which is lost due to the terrible condition of the heart, is to put it simply, salvation. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from the nations. Saved from the Egyptians. Saved from the Edomites. Saved from the Philistines. Saved from the Greeks. Saved from not only the terror which they bring, but the spiritual disaster which they bring. And not only saved from attacks, but saved from exile and diaspora. This is salvation in the form of an ingathering of God's people on Mount Zion in Jerusalem to worship in spirit and in truth. Joel is talking about a bountiful harvest of grapes and the produce of the land. Yes, wine. Yes, food. But he's also talking about a harvest of people. The sickle is put into a ripe harvest. The voice of the Lord roaring from Zion and this prophetic imagery is wonderful. The mountains drip with wine. The hills flow with milk. Stream beds flow with water and the fountains of the deep burst forth from under the temple and they flow down toward the Dead Sea. I don't know if you've, said it, if you've seen it lately, but they say the Dead Sea is about to dry up. It's in danger of drying up. This is about a renewed creation. A renewed creation whose center is the mountain of God. A day in which the nations of the world turn their eyes, turn their hearts to Jerusalem. This is the day of Pentecost in a nutshell. 
Consider the disciples. The Lord they loved had been hung on the cross. And yes, He had been raised on the third day, a thing they could not possibly have imagined. They had seen Him. They had walked with Him. They had been made glad by not just seeing Him, but eating with Him, touching Him. Their hearts had burned within them as He had opened the Scriptures to them. He had broken bread with them and made known to them in that breaking of bread. But on day 40, the Lord had ascended into heaven. And on day 50, they were together in the house, but by no means vindicated. They were a group of would-be revolutionaries, a group that didn't really pan out, Possibly what we might call a defunct church plant. And on that Sunday morning, the day of Pentecost, the day of the Lord came suddenly. A sound like a mighty rushing wind filling the whole house. And each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not merely an invisible thing, but it descends in visible form like split tongues. Keep that in mind. Split tongues. And those gathered in the house begin to speak in tongues. I'm persuaded by one commentator on the Acts of the Apostles as well as Corinthians that the Holy Spirit coming upon them in power was so overwhelming that their minds couldn't catch up with what was happening to them. They could not produce words with their minds, but only what the Holy Spirit gave them. And we read later that what the Holy Spirit gave them in this gift of tongues was actually not just gibberish, but real language, such as the disciples could not understand, but which the hearers from all over the world gathered on that day could understand. It is interesting to me that the traditional site where they were staying is right in the midst of Mount Zion. If you go today to Jerusalem and you visit the Cenacle, that site it's a crusader site, but it's built to you know, be something like an upper room, and you have to climb stairs to get there, and so there you go. But it's right in the midst of Mount Zion. And most understand today that the apostles were driven from there by the Holy Spirit to the steps of the temple where Peter begins this speech upon being accused of public drunkenness and disorderliness. That speech was given, they say, on the grand entrance of the temple on the south side, overlooking the city of David, down into the city of David, looking down toward the Dead Sea. Blow a trumpet, Joel says, in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the part that gets cut off in the Acts of the Apostles reading today. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This day of the Lord's coming is a day of judgment in Jerusalem. It is a day which will be escaped only by those whom the Lord calls. 
And Peter stands there on that day and having spoken in tongues all morning, probably wiped out, feeling drunk, if not actually drunk. The words which he speaks with his mind, finally, are not his own words, but the words of the prophet Joel. He says, these men are not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And then he basically quotes from Joel. You might say, well, you know, what is this whole thing about drunkenness? Well, there's a lot that the fathers say about the drunkenness. The drunkenness is being drunk on the Holy Spirit. They have become fools. But if we could see with spiritual eyes what's going on behind the visible, we might see what Joel is talking about. That they are standing upon a mountain which is dripping with wine. That they are standing upon a hill which is gushing with milk. The milk of the Gospel. That great waters are bursting forth from the temple to water the face of the earth and renew a creation which was once chaotic and brought to order by the Holy Spirit, which is chaotic again due to sin, and is being brought back into order and conformity and glory by the same Holy Spirit. Peter's message on that day is this in a nutshell. That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, not abandoned to hell, not abandoned to corruption, but raised. And then he says this, and being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is such an important teaching that Peter puts forward. That Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and there He has received that gift which He has always had. The gift of the Holy Spirit. But get this, He has received it in His human nature as well as His divine. And He has received it as a man to give it to us. Having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Consider that for a second. The, the gift on the day of Pentecost is not just some invisible gift. We would expect, you know, oh, the Spirit is given, so you can't really see it. You just have to sort of guess that it's there and sort of think about it in esoteric terms. No, no, no. The gift that is given on the day of Pentecost is not an invisible gift. It is an invisible gift that is also visible. Is that image up on the screen? Can you see it? Okay, that's that's from the from the uh, National Basilica in uh, in in uh, Washington D.C. Seen and heard, this gift which comes from Jesus it is seen and heard. Consider that Peter points on this day to Christ crucified, whom God has made truly Lord of all. Lord even over David. And this is the message that cuts the people to the heart, that this has come to them today. Goodness, what a fulfillment of what Joel had spoken. I read through Joel as I was preparing for this sermon, and, and there's this wonderful text where he says, he says, multitudes, 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 in the valley of 
what, what's often translated as in the valley of decision, but it's actually the valley of charutz. The valley of literally cutting, threshing, harvesting, dividing. This is a day of judgment. It's a day in which men and women are cut to the heart. It's a day on which that divide between the visible and the invisible is rendered. Rent. I want to be clear this morning. For Peter and the apostles, this day of Pentecost is nothing less. Indeed, it cannot be more than the whole fulfillment of God's promises. The promise to be with His people forever. The promise made to Abraham that He would be His God. And Abraham and all those coming forth from Him would be His people. The promise also to Abraham that through Him all the nations of the world would call themselves blessed. The promise to Moses. The promise to David. The pro- that, that, that an heir of His would sit upon the throne. The promise of Jesus even. Saying, before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The promise to all who look for a kind of vindication that only God can give. The promise to all those who are not satisfied with salvation of a merely earthly nature, but who hunger and thirst for a better kingdom who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who desire true restoration of the heart. Beloved, on this day of Pentecost, we are witnesses of a society which has endured a terrible year. And yet somehow, the economy is strong and things are looking up. I mean, we're all in here not wearing masks. I mean, if we just pause and say, that's a miracle! Yay! And I don't know if you've checked your retirement account lately, but it's like big gift from COVID if you have one. But hearts are broken. Hearts are troubled. Hearts are grieved by sin. Hearts are grieved by loneliness. We stand in the midst of a society which is a spiritual disaster. Far from God, wandering into utter chaos, disillusioned, wrecked by unseen armies of evil. Order has gone out the door. We can't even speak convincingly about who we are anymore. I don't think we know. Nations rage against each other. It shouldn't escape our view this morning that, that the, the, the water which comes forth from the temple in Joel's words is flowing right dang into the West Bank. Nations rage against each other. Our society is divided deeply, economically, racially, ethnically, politically, and what the heck are we going to do about that? What can be done? But what has to be said on the day of Pentecost is this. It's already been done. The early rains have come on the day of Pentecost. 
God is calling together, gathering together His people from every tribe and nation. And the church continues a great and bountiful harvest out of every tribe and nation. Nations that 50 years ago we would have said, yeah, there's not much hope of the Gospel getting in there. And yet, today there were people baptized in Iran. Today there were people baptized in Syria. The church continues to be given great power by the Holy Spirit to give witness to the risen Christ and to proclaim salvation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Beloved, if you are a Christian, if you have been baptized, if you know the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are by definition full of the Holy Spirit. No less than those first Christians. You have been vindicated by the promises of God. Vindicated in the sight of those who would accuse you Vindicated in the sight of those who would oppose you. Vindicated in the sight of those who would hurt you. And today you are granted the increasing, ever-increasing grain and wine and oil. That's that's what we're talking about the sacraments, right? That's the view. Granted the grain and wine of the Eucharist and sealed by the true oil of the Holy Spirit. The true charism of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit joined to the risen body of Jesus, you have been made a witness to the Lord's resurrection and a witness to the promises of God. And not just a witness to yourself, not a private witness, but a public witness. And you stand in view of a field white for harvest, a world plagued by sin and death, but a creation made by the Holy Spirit that is being remade by the Holy Spirit. We live in so much fear. We live in so much bewilderment. We live in so much worry. Like, well, what if it's not going to work out? Like, what if it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket and we'll be stuck here holding bloody stumps, you know? We just think like the worst possible things. And maybe you've got chronic anxiety and it's about a hundred times that. Believe me, I know. What we must see, what we must, must must see is that God has done it. He is continuing to do it and He will follow through on what He has done on the last great day. So do not despair on this day. But solemnly rejoice. Remember the promises of God. Do not be given to hardness of heart, but ask the Holy Spirit to cut you to the heart and lead you ever deeper in life of holiness and love. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Enlighten the hearts of Your faithful people and kindle in them the fire of Your love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.